is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. Uh, I'm Peter, and I'm here with my co-host Lee. Hi there. And you're joining us for another Tragedy Tuesday, our mini-episodes about tragedies that usually aren't mini, and today's is particularly not mini. Oh boy. Um, so today, I'm going to turn 16 seconds into probably about 20 minutes. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Good intro. Yeah. I'm so, intrigued. Great. I'm going to start with a sidebar. <laughs> we like sidebars Pretty soon here. it's going to be all sidebars. It's all going to be sidebars. Main story is going to be like one line. Exactly. The rest is going to be like, here's what's cool about airships. <laughs> so the earliest recorded mention of an aerial ship came from Francesco Lana de Trezzi, a Jesuit father in 1670. Huh. Context time. If you remember, the Great Fire of London was in 1666. The uh, Cortez romping around in Mexico was in 1519 from right. our smallpox in Mexico episode. Mm. And uh, tsunami hit the San Riku district of Japan in 1896. Okay. So we're right around the time of the Great Fire of London. Okay. So de Trezzi described a boat-like ship with copper spheres. So picture like a literal boat yeah. and copper spheres attached to it. Oh, okay. And his idea was that they would evacuate the air from the spheres to make them lighter than air. But there's one problem, and that's that the thickness of the copper required to keep the spheres from collapsing would make them too heavy to float. Huh. So it's a good idea, but bad implementation. Huh. Then Jean-Baptiste Marie... It's a French name. Okay. No, nothing wrong with French <laughs> names. It's my pronunciation. Yes. But basically, a Frenchman mm. improved on the idea. In 1785, he crossed the English Channel using a balloon with flapping wings and a tail like a bird. Wow. I'll post a picture of that. <laughs> Did he come from Narnia or was well, he? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he might as That's well have. quite a flight of fancy. But I thought that was interesting. 1785 and maybe it's a different time or maybe it's the same time, but it's like he had no idea if he was going to work. Yeah. He just like bravado and confidence in the design. Mm. And I also thought that that was interesting from a, like, I, I call it the, the fuck it aspect of human nature, <laughs> where it's just like, good enough. Let's see if it works. That's <laughs> no other way to find out. But then, like, I guess these are the kinds of people that, like, learn to harness fire, explore the oceans, climb Everest, and land on the moon, hmm. right? Like, the, the I, wouldn't, I wouldn't get in a balloon that I built myself. Well, no. But then I the also... The doers of the world. Exactly. Would, exactly. <laughs> the dare, those that dare. Those that dare. So as airships evolved throughout the centuries, three main classes floated to the surface. Non-rigid, semi-rigid, and rigid. Uh, I'll pause for... This chuckles insert all the jokes yeah. you want there <laughs> children you you were first to laugh i was first to laugh well i was laughing i was trying not to laugh start with non-rigid uh because i guess that's where you <laughs> start. that's where we start <laughs> couldn't couldn't resist except okay. in the morning <laughs> do we start over at this point no okay so non-rigid Erase they're it. commonly non-rigid airships are commonly called blimps like the goodyear airship there you go and uh most blimps so they rely entirely on internal gas pressure to retain the shape while airborne. Then you have semi-rigid, mm -hmm. which have some minimal support structures, but the shape is still mostly supported by the pressure of the gas. Mm -hmm. Usually they're kind of like elongated cigar shapes and the supports are on the center to keep it from like collapsing. Mm -hmm. Then you've got rigid, which have like a rigid framework covered in outer skin. And then they have interior gas bags <laughs> uh, that provide the lift. 
I promise we're not children. If this is your first episode, <laughs> stop right now. Go to one of the earlier ones. We but, have some content that you might enjoy, not just pee pee poo. If you're if you're not if you're not into rigid gas bags. Anyway. <laughs> um, but anyway, they're generally not pressurized, and they rely on lighter than air gases. Okay. See, everyone figured out what this this episode was about from the start. <laughs> yeah. I finally did. You just queued in? I just figured it out. Well, I was just going to transition. I'm there. I was going to transition into, I didn't want to, well, I guess, first of all, you read the title if you saw the podcast, but I thought it'd be right. interesting to kind of ease into what we're actually talking about. Okay. In the second, second section about the history of Zeppelins. Mm-hmm. So Ferdinand Adolf Heinrich August Graf von Zeppelin. Oh, relax with the names. Right. Also, buddy. Adolf's not a name you hear anymore. Well. That one kind of mm, got ruined for everyone. Yeah. So he was a German general. Okay. Uh, in 1863, as a young lieutenant, he traveled overseas to act as an observer of the American Civil War. Okay. While there, he was taken up in a hot air balloon by a German-born balloonist named John Steiner. Hmm? Or Steiner, I guess. Steiner. Um, and this triggered his interest in lighter-than-air craft. Okay. So he, uh, he invented the Zeppelin. Uh, as a rigid airship. So he first outlined his idea for a rigid airship in a journal entry on March 25th, 1874, uh, with a rigid frame and an outer envelope containing numerous individual gas bags. (laughs) He struggled for funding for the next 15 years, though. So from 1874 for 15 years, he just couldn't get funding to get this thing built. But he finally made the first flight in the LZ-1, which stands for Luftschiff. Zeppelin 1. Oh. No. (laughs) Right? You wish. But I wonder. Well, there's a connection. Yeah. Good album. Anyway. (laughs) Luftschiff Zeppelin, or Airship Zeppelin, on July 2nd, 1900. So from 1874, finally, in July 2nd, 1900, he got his first flight. In the LZ-1. All right. He died in 1971 before the end of uh, the First World War. So he didn't witness the spread of his idea in the form of the LZ-127 Graf Zeppelin, which was the first commercial passenger transatlantic flight service. Wow. And it operated from 1928 to 1937. Okay. Uh, He also didn't witness its twin airship, the LZ-128 Graf Zeppelin II. And he certainly didn't witness its big brother, the LZ-129 Hindenburg-class airship. Right. Why the Hindenburg, you ask? (laughs) Uh, It was named after the president of Germany from 1925 to 1934, Paul von Hindenburg. Okay. Which, in retrospect, he's like, thanks, guys. Thanks. Glad to have my name I'm uh, so happy about with that. that. So happy about that. Mm. Could have named Everest after me, (laughs) which was named after the surveyor general of India. Right. Anyway. Uh, or Tibet, sorry. <clears throat> so let's talk about the flight of the Hindenburg. Mm-hmm. So it was a commercial passenger carrying airship, like I mentioned. Right. How big was it, you may ask? I would ask that. 245 meters long. Okay. For reference, a Boeing 747 is 76 meters. Uh, so it's over three times the length of a 747. Okay. Uh, it operated from March 1936 to May 6th, 1937. And there's a reason that there's a specific day that it stopped operating. Yeah. Um, So. Scott Porter using it? Yeah. So it operated for 14 months. Okay. If you remember, the Empire State Building from the second episode was built in 13 months. From 1930 to 1931. So a lot happening in the 30s. Sure. And quickly. And quickly. Or shortly. Um, And also, but the reason that I bring up the Empire State Building is because if you remember, we were talking about it, the spire at the top of the Empire State Building was intended to act as a mooring point for airships. That's right. So like they're supposed to attach there and people would offload onto the Empire State Building. Man. 
and live in the steampunk dream. I know that that would have been so cool. And so also cool. after the fact, after all this happens, Empire State Building's like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this spire now? <laughs> <laughs> you shit. <laughs> Always with the spires. Look like idiots. So the Hindenburg was scheduled to make 10 round trips between Germany and the U.S. in 1937. Uh, I've got some numbers now. So a one-way ticket on the Hindenburg was 400 U.S. dollars in 1937. Holy. Yeah, let me, I did the math. Yeah. You ready for the math? Let's hear it. Adjusted for inflation in 2019, this one-way ticket, $7,180. <laughs> uh-huh. For comparison, a ticket on the Concorde was 4,350 pounds or 7,385 U.S. dollars when it retired in 2003. <laughs> uh, that, and the Concorde, we'll talk about that in the future. Okay. Because there's some, there's some hiccups. Hmm. That's but the one that the, the nose that dipped. Exactly. And it was mm. the one that uh, would travel Mach 2 across right. the Atlantic. Mm. Mach 2? At least Mach 1. Um, so adjusted for inflation, that ticket on the Concorde is 10,280 US dollars. Boy. And you wonder why it failed. I can't imagine. Who, like, it was all businessmen. <laughs> yeah. Business people. It's richy rich. Yeah. So the difference between the Concorde and the Hindenburg, though, is that the Concorde made the New York to London flight in three hours and 15 minutes, and it flew at, oh, here it is, Mach 2, or 2,470 kilometers an hour. Okay. Uh, 1,530 miles per hour. Um, the Hindenburg, <laughs> Frankfurt, <laughs> Germany to Lakehurst, New Jersey in 98 hours, 28 minutes or four days. Oh my so, God. Bobbing on a balloon for four days <laughs> with whatever was available in 1937. Yeah. Although apparently I was reading in a, the, the flight itself was pretty smooth. Like uh, they were saying that uh, a lot of the passengers didn't realize they'd taken off even. Oh, no way. Until they looked out their window and they were like, oh, we're in the air. They're floating. They um, are floating, I guess. It's not. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing that always kind of, I forget about and kind of catches me off guard whenever I see a picture of the Hindenburg um, or uh, like this class of airship in general is mm. that it flew the German Nationalist Socialist Party flag on its tail fins. The, oh the swastika. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I guess there was a time that the swastika wasn't 100% symbol of evil. Um, well, that was pre-World so, yeah. War II. This is all before World War II. Which obviously, like, they're not going to be making those flights. a political party at that time. Yeah, so, it's, it's almost like, it's obviously cr creepy in retrospect. Yeah. Where, like, at the time, it's just a symbol. Yeah, sure. It's, it's another flag. just becomes such a, like, a analog iconic, of evil. Yeah, evil. Yeah. Just... Instant. So you see that picture. And I guess it was also in, uh, what, the third Indiana Jones movie? Yeah. They, they, they ride on the Zeppelin. Escape like in a Zeppelin. Yeah. yeah. And there's a little plane that's attached to it. Yeah. I don't know if that's... Was there? I don't know if there was a plane attached. I should look into that. I keep an eye I think, on our social media. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like a little getaway plane. Yeah. So the Hindenburg left Frankfurt on the evening of May 3rd, 1937. Okay. The flight was relatively uneventful until May 6th. So mm. it passed over Boston, hours behind schedule. Okay. Uh, they expected further delays because of after afternoon thunderstorms. Uh. So Captain Max Pruss, advised of bad weather, took the advice, if you remember in the Bomber Blitz episode, yep. he was advised of, the pilot there was advised of back, bad weather and ignore the advice. Right. This captain took the advice and he took the passengers on a flyover tour of Manhattan Island. Oh, just a pastime. Yeah. And yeah. So the, the scenic route. Yeah, basically. Okay. So like Captain Smith... Ignored the advice, ended up crashing into the Empire State yeah, Building. Yeah, he had a bit of a says you attitude. Yeah, well, turns out, should have listened. 
Yeah. He said, and then you should have listened to him. Yeah. Um, so you should take a listen to the Bomber Blitz episode. Yeah. Um, so basically, like, uh, but the one theme there is that there's not a lot of luck associated with flights from Massachusetts to New Jersey in the no. 1930s. It's the 40s. <laughs> it's a treacherous journey. But also, this is a fun time for people living in Manhattan because uh, <laughs> they ran out to see the Hindenburg. And some of these people were probably the same people that came running out when they heard the sound of the B-25 buzzing Jeez. top of the buildings. You're not bored. Right. Can you imagine, like, how many of these people do you think took a flight after these few years? Like, yeah. Like, they've, they've witnessed a once. bomber hitting the Empire State <laughs> yeah. Building, and then what happens to the Hindenburg? Yeah. They're like, oh, I'll take a boat. <laughs> these modes of travel ain't working for me. You know what? I'm walking here. <laughs> That's what they say in New York. Is that what? Is that where it came from? Yeah. <laughs> I think we've just unlocked a key of history. I know. At We're good like that. <laughs> Sorry. At 6.25 p.m., Captain Pruss is informed that the weather has cleared and it's safe to land in Lakehurst. Oh, finally. So the plan was to land, let the public tour the Hindenburg while it restocked, and then turn around and head back over the Atlantic. Okay. Because at this point, they basically ran out of time. Right. So here's the landing. 7 p.m., the Hindenburg began its approach of the field at Lakehurst. Mm -hmm. 7.21 p.m. The forward landing ropes are dropped. Okay. So far, so good. Yep. 7.25. <clears throat> so some witnesses claim they saw some loose fabric fluttering near the upper fin as if gas was leaking. So towards the back, you've got like those two fins at the back and they yeah. said that they see some fabric flapping. Right. Uh, other witnesses claim they saw a dim blue flame near the rear of the ship. Okay. So this could have been static electricity or St. Elmo's fire. Uh-huh. What's that, you might ask? It's a movie. Mini sidebar. No. <laughs> so St. Elmo's fire is a weather phenomenon caused by an electrical discharge from a conductor in a strong electric field in the atmosphere. Okay. The kind of electric field generated by a thunderstorm, for example. Okay. Earlier in the day. Hmm. So it's named after St. Elmo, the patron saint of sailors, because it used to occur on the masts of ships at sea, and it appears as a glowing ball of light. So sailors would kind of lend it their religious awe. Sure. Just kind of stare Take at it. Take it as a good yeah, omen. Exactly. So unsurprisingly, there's lots of conflicting eyewitness reports about the early uh, flames or static discharges. Okay. Because everyone's got their own. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone saw something. Yeah. Right? Or so, thinks they did. Right. So shortly after these initial moments, the Hindenburg caught fire and quickly became engulfed in flames. Mm-hmm. Helmsmut, or <laughs> Helmsman, Helmut, you can forgive me <laughs> because there's two helms in the beginning. Yeah. Helmsman Helmut Lau was stationed in the lower fin. So there's a post near the rear of the Hindenburg. Okay. He heard a muffled explosion and saw a bright reflection on one of the gas cells, uh, which then suddenly disappeared by the heat. Okay. His words. Okay. A combination of ballast tanks bursting and dumping water, as well as the fire burning from the rear to front, resulted in the Hindenburg pitching nose up. So right. this explosion happens near the end. They carry a lot of water with them to sort of maintain their ballast, I okay, guess. Okay, okay. So it starts dumping out and then it starts, that's why like if you can conjure the image and we'll post on the social media too, sure. but it starts like pitching nose up. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so none of the newsreel teams, there were a bunch of like people around filming and taking pictures. Yes, none of the were. newsreel teams or the filming spectators caught the start of the fire. Mm. Um, but... Retired NASA scientist Addison Bain has studied it at length. Okay. And he ran simulations and he estimates that the flames spread at approximately 15 meters per second or 49 feet per second. Wow. Resulting in a total destruction time of approximately 16 seconds after full ignition. Mm-hmm. That's 16 seconds to short. annihilate the Zeppelin. 
the which is how big again i'm just gonna scroll up a little bit here 245 meters long like much right like much bigger than a 737 three times the length of a 737 <laughs> in 16 seconds that is quick ridiculous like i can't can't unfathomable so casualties mm-hmm. on board there were uh 36 36 passengers total and 61 crewmen okay um deaths 13 passengers died and 22 crewmen died so not everyone. That is insane to me. Right? Because you were talking about the guy said, I saw the thing. It's like, how yeah. did he live to tell this right? tale? Exactly. Okay, exactly. Okay. Um, so most died in the crash. Some died hours or days later due to burns or smoke inhalation. Sure, sure. Uh, nine crewmen stationed in the nose of the ship were killed when flames shot out of the nose of the Hindenburg. So Ugh. basically, like this, the nose came off and flames started shooting out the front. And right. they were there. So they, they were got there. incinerated. Uh, most of the survivors cleared the disaster unscathed. So you basically were killed by it or you got away scot Or you were able to jump? Basically, yeah, okay. yeah. Because uh, you're relatively close to the ground at this point. Is that what um, he, was, he was listing considerably. So, yeah. I mean, the guy in the tail was yeah. in the best possible Yeah, because it, it went down position. first. Right. Yeah. So, ah. And there's another story too. So, like, uh, so first of all, a 14-year-old cabin boy survived through sheer luck. He basically ah. got soaked by water from one of these ballast tanks, oh. which put out the flames around him. And he was working in the kitchen, so he opened a hatch and jumped out of the Hindenburg as it was bouncing off of the ground. So it kind of like, it hits the ground, he jumps off, and then it just kind of like rolls away. Wow. So that's kind of a freebie. (laughs) Yeah, we're all, yeah. We're lucky. Like quick to act, but also like. Dumb luck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another passenger, Joseph Spy, don't know how to pronounce it, was a vaudeville comic acrobat. Okay. Good to be in this okay, situation. Yeah. So good. he smashed a window and did a tuck and roll after jumping out of the window <laughs> and escaped with only an injured ankle. Okay. So I feel like I've got a note here, like, my time to shine. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and a little flourished. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Swanee. You like those, <laughs> yeah. like, landings with the Y. Yeah, yeah. So the cause. There are many hypotheses, but no concrete answers hmm. because it happened so quickly and you didn't right. have anybody, f- like, we're not, again, not a time when everybody's got a cell phone and no. like, pointing it at exactly what's going on. Right? It's incredible that there is footage. Yeah. To be, I mean, it was, you know, something out of a, an event. Yeah, know, yeah, to, yeah. But like the, you know, the, the cameras are there to capture probably like to go on a tour of the Hindenburg and like do a newsreel about the Hindenburg. So they're yeah. like, oh, let's yeah. start filming now. Why not? Yeah. And then, you know. So uh, the ignition... <clears throat> the ignition could have been the static spark that we talked about from the atmosphere following the thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. It could have been a lightning strike or it could have been an engine failure. Right. So maybe one of the engines started flaming and it caught fire somewhere. Mm-hmm. Also, the initial fuel for the fire could have been hydrogen gas from a leaking gas bag. And again, we saw that that, that eyewitness said that there was a fluttering piece of fabric. So right. maybe there was a leak. Um, and that leak actually could have been caused by all of the excessive maneuvering prior to landing. Because remember, he had to fly around a bunch. Yeah. And like he was making, if you look at the flight path, he was making a lot of turns that are considered tight for this kind of airship. Okay. So maybe he tore something along the way. All right. Um, there's also some uh, controversial thing proposed by this NASA scientist, Addison Bain, about uh, the paint co- providing the fuel for the initial fire. Okay. Um, and if you want to go down a whole rabbit hole about that debate, <laughs> feel free. I did and then chose not to. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it to 20 minutes. <laughs> Um, or it could have been a gas leak from one of the engines. So tying back into the engine failure. Okay. But really, like, you're not going to get any answers about that. No. Which is kind of, you kind of, it's 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 like, you're not going to get a lot of closure about the Hindenburg. You can only really say that it burnt quickly. Yeah. And. It was it was a spectacular, horrific event. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that was 
caught on film. Yeah. With a very sort of iconic... Uh, iconic, exactly. You uh, mentioned Led Zeppelin, but well, like Led it's Zeppelin. been immortalized. On well, the I was going to say the quote from the newscaster, the, really? the old, uh, really? oh, the humanity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you still hear that said, and I wonder yeah. if people really know what it refers to at this point. It's, it's just part of our collective subconscious. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll One play that things. clip. Maybe we'll oh, play sure. it while yeah, we're talking. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and the other thing, like, the because that clip, the Oh, the Humanity, that's what always led me to think that, like, there's got to be hundreds of lives being lost here. There's, like, 13 passengers and 22 crew. Yeah. That's, like, all things considered, you kind of... It got off easy. You got off easy. You know? Yeah. I mean... Because there are also people in the field, right? Yeah, 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 so. yeah, yeah, yeah. If the future of airships. So after all this, fuck airships, am I right? <laughs> well, NASA has proposed manned missions to the atmosphere of Venus in airships. So what? the surface pressure on Venus is too high for humans, right. but at a certain altitude, the pressure is equal to the one to the pressure on Earth. So Venus could be a future human colony with cities in the clouds. What? Yeah. <laughs> Someone call up Lando. Wow. Cool. <laughs> His deal's getting worse all the time. Yeah. Now he can make that complaint on Venus. Trust him. <laughs> so uh, some closing thoughts. Okay. Um, so this was the most publicized airship disaster, but not the worst. Oh. In April 1933, the U.S. Navy scout airship USS Akron crashed at sea off New Jersey coast, off the New Jersey coast. 73 of the 76 people on board died. Ugh. So it's over twice as many as in the Hindenburg crash. Right. Um, also, interestingly, in Germany, the footage of the Hindenburg crash wasn't made public until after the Second World War, which is uh, kind of ha, interesting ha, how that works, right? propaganda there. Yeah. Like, now, hey, uh, it's, it, it also kind of makes you think about how that hasn't changed throughout the millennia. Like, I imagine you talk to somebody from ancient Athens after mm. the plague. Mm -hmm. It's like... Hey, was uh, was your wasn't your capital ravaged by uh, plague? Nope, stronger than ever. No, we're doing good. We're great. We're good. Great. Actually, the best civilization has to offer. No, exactly. What yeah. of it? We're doing fantastic. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess fake news has been around for a long time. Yeah. So that's that's the Hindenburg disaster. Yeah. On a tragedy Tuesday. That's a that's a damn interesting disaster. Got some music for it. Let's hear it. So the band, you know this band, because I think you turned me on to them. A oh. band called Wake. Oh, yeah. From, uh, I think they're from Calgary, am I right? I think you're right. Yeah, Calgary, Alberta. The song is, uh, and I I recognize that this is a bit too on the nose. <laughs> the song is Burn Well. <laughs> wow. Off the album, <laughs> Sowing the Seeds of a Worthless Tomorrow from 2016. Okay. Uh, they're kind of like black metal, death metal, grindcore, post-hard. There are a lot of stuff, I find. I find it hard to slot Kind of a mixed bag. Um, the reason that I picked it, to be honest, the song name played a lot into it. <laughs> I love this album, a so I was just like it. picking a song off of this album, sure. but then that, I saw that one and I was like, well, it's that one. <laughs> uh, but also, like, they're super hard. I've loved them for a long time. Um, and most importantly, it was the song name. It was definitely the song name. <laughs> you, did, you, you mentioned that, yeah? <laughs> so anyways, you probably heard some of that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was this tragedy Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So if you like what you if you like uh, what you hear, uh, and maybe you want to tell us something that we missed, or you want to discuss the Hindenburg a bit more, get in touch on social medias. Indeed. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at this disaster pod. You can actually visit our website too: www.thisdisasterpod.com. Yeah, we do have a website. A lot of cool stuff on there too. Okay, well, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time for our next major disaster. Got a 
Got a teaser for that one? Uh, no, you'll have to stay tuned. Okay, well, see you next time. See ya. Thank you.